do the Bible, Hogwarts, disciples, and Dementors all have in common? This podcast. Welcome to The Gospel According to Harry Potter, a podcast for Potterheads, Jesus freaks, and everyone in between. My name is Ashley, and together we'll examine the entire Harry Potter series, chapter by chapter, through a biblical lens, looking for insights into Harry Potter from a Christian worldview and insights into real life from a wizarding worldview. So grab your favorite Harry Potter book, your go-to Bible translation, and maybe a mug of warm butterbeer and get ready to explore the wizarding world like never before. Hi there! You're listening to The Gospel According to Harry Potter, a podcast for Potterheads, Jesus freaks, and everyone in between. My name is Ashley, and I'm so excited to finally be launching this podcast. This is a literal dream come true. Talking about Jesus and talking about Harry Potter are two things that I just can't stop doing. If you ask anybody who knows me, they'll tell you that I definitely am obsessed with both. And so this opportunity for me to talk about Harry Potter and talk about Jesus at the same time and in the same platform, is just something that I've wanted to do for so long. So you might be wondering, why a Christian Harry Potter podcast? What do the two have in common? First of all, I will tell you that these are books that I have read and reread and reread over and over, and I will continue to read and reread them probably for the rest of my life. I started reading Harry Potter back in the 90s when I was a kid and the first book came out and it just was instantly my favorite thing. You know, it was at the time, unlike any other book I had ever read, unlike any series that was out there. And so I very quickly became what you would call a Potterhead. And then as for the Bible, I didn't really start reading that one until my adult years. I was raised as a Christian, and I've always been a believer in Jesus. But as far as my love for scripture, that didn't really come until probably around 2008. And so by that time, I was already an adult, already a mom, married, had a job, you know. So uh, definitely my, my dig into the Bible came later than my love for the Harry Potter books. But as I mentioned before, these are both books that I read over and over now. Now, here's the difference. Even though I love Harry Potter, it's always the same, especially after you've read it countless times like I have. Nothing changes, right? Like I'm at the point now where I could probably tell you a majority of the Harry Potter series from memory. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the thing about the Bible is that it is new every time. Um, It's often described as the living word, and it's so true. And I can't really explain it to you except to say that no matter how many times I have read the Bible, no matter how many times I have seen certain verses, there is always something new waiting there for me. And I, I think that that's, you know, because it is the living word of God. And so as much as I love Harry Potter, these are just books. They're just fiction, right? And then the Bible, to me, is uh, a living word. It is my communication from God about how I should live my life and about all, all kinds of different things that pertain to what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about, and what matters to me. Now, I do want to address 
the elephant in the room, which is that there are a lot of people out there who would say that a Christian Harry Potter podcast should not even exist. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who have uh, thrown some shade at me for loving Harry Potter the way that I do and still being a Christian. And so I do want to address that first and foremost before we really dive into the series. A lot of Christians believe that since Harry Potter has to do with witches and wizards, then it's not okay for Christians to read and enjoy because the Bible makes it clear that we are not to practice witchcraft. And so I do want to say right off the bat that I'm not going to disagree with scripture there. I do believe that it is not okay for Christians to practice witchcraft or the occult or any other spiritual practices that are not biblical, but I do believe that it's okay for us to read fictional books that incorporate magic and fantasy and, you know, all these other parts that we're going to see in the Harry Potter series. There were some times in the past where I I kind of doubted Um, Some things were said to me by fellow Christians that, you know, kind of scared me like, oh, well, maybe I am doing something wrong whenever I read Harry Potter. And so there was a season in my life where I actually put the Harry Potter series aside for a few months and I spent that time praying about it, number one, but also studying scripture and seeking godly counsel from other Christians in my life who had, you know, spiritual authority to teach me. And here's here's some of the things that led me to feel at peace with continuing to love and read Harry Potter. First of all, John 8.36 tells us that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so I have a mature Christian understanding that nothing that I do or don't do, nothing that I read or don't read, can ever separate me from the love of Christ. So my salvation is thanks to Jesus alone and what he did and accomplished on the cross. And so me reading Harry Potter is is not in any way, shape, or form going to separate me from the love of Jesus or from my salvation. I know that I get to go to heaven one day and live forever with him, and reading Harry Potter is not going to change that. Another one of the concepts that um, I kind of equate to this idea of should I or shouldn't I has a lot to do with uh, what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 14. In Romans 14, verse 14, Paul says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself. Still, it is unclean to the one who considers it unclean. So I know in these, this verse, he's specifically talking about food, but the concept still holds. Uh, Jesus also taught that it isn't what goes into our bodies that makes us unclean, but what comes out. So again, I concluded that reading Harry Potter is not a sin for me in specific because it doesn't cause me to behave in a way that is sinful. In other words, I can read these books about magical kids you know, casting spells and making potions and and going to Hogwarts, and it doesn't tempt me to actually want to practice real witchcraft. And so it's not causing anything unclean to come out of me in my behavior. But that verse also alerts people who consider something a sin to avoid it. And so the last thing that I ever want to do in this podcast or in any other way is to cause another Christian to stumble. So I will say this. If you don't believe that it's okay for you to be a Christian and read Harry Potter, then don't read Harry Potter. 
I'm not here to try to convince anybody. In fact, it's not even an argument that I'm going to engage in. I've already had a couple of people try to talk me out of what I'm doing here. My only answer to them is, I I agree with you. Read the Bible. Yes. Encourage people to read the Bible. Um, And I hope that people listening to this podcast will become interested in reading scripture if you don't already. But if you're a Christian who thinks that this is wrong, then by all means, stick to that conviction. Paul says in Romans 14, 23, if you are uncertain whether you should eat something, then you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. And so if you're not sure if Harry Potter is okay, um, that is something that's between you and the Lord. I encourage you to pray about it, do your own Bible study about it, talk to your own spiritual leaders the same way that I did and follow whatever it is that you are convicted of. And in, in that way, you are avoiding sin. But if like me, you believe that all is pure to those who are pure, then let's keep going. I cannot wait. So before we actually dive into the book, here's a little overview of how we'll do things around here. Each episode, I'm going to deep dive into one or two chapters of Harry Potter. I'll start today with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling, and then I'm going to progress in order all the way through the books. Um, This is a really great opportunity for anybody who has never read Harry Potter before to follow along chapter by chapter, or it's a great opportunity for those who have read Harry Potter to do a little reread along with me in kind of a new way with a fun little Christian twist. I will give a recap of the chapter that we're reading. And as I do the recap, when you hear the word Lumos, it means that I will shine a light on a biblical theme that I see emerging in the story. I'll be sure to include show notes with all biblical references in case you want to dig a little deeper for yourself. And any other references that I make to other literature or anything like that, I'll include as well. From time to time, I hope to have guests who will offer different perspectives and insights as we journey through the series. And I also want to have some fun with you guys in the form of little contests, competitions. Uh, The first one has already started over on Instagram. If you go follow me at Gospel According to Harry Potter, there is a pinned house cup post. And if you comment on that post with your Hogwarts house, then you score a point for the monthly house cup competition. So I encourage you to go on there, follow my Instagram account at Gospel According to Harry Potter, and make sure that you are voting for your Hogwarts house and also share it with your housemates so they can do the same. You can also DM me there on Instagram if you ever have any questions uh, about what we talk about on the episode or anything like that, and I will be happy to respond. All right, I think that's it for an introduction. So let's get started with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. The interesting thing to me is that the author chose to start a story about this magical wizarding world from the perspective of the least magical people on the planet, and that's the Dursleys. So this chapter opens up with Vernon Dursley on his way to work, and he is noticing all sorts of things that are very unusual to him. He sees owls flying everywhere. He sees what looks like a cat reading a map. Uh, He sees people in what he considers to be really weird clothes, and all of it makes him, I think, really unusually angry. It's surprising how much he's annoyed by 
all these people who look and act different than him. I think it's because it doesn't fit into his predictable world. He thinks it's, you know, a publicity stunt or people raising money, but it's not what he expected to see on his way to work that day. Thankfully for him, he forgets all about it when he gets to work and he sits with his back to the window and he's able to just kind of focus on his normal life. Later, we see that his wife, Petunia, also had a normal day. She gossiped about the neighbors and she spied on what they were doing. And Vernon also tries to pretend that his day was normal, too. He does everything he can to ignore these obvious signs that something weird is going on until they're watching the evening news and the reporter is talking about all these weird things like shooting stars and an abundance of owls all over the country. So at this point, Vernon asks Petunia if she's heard from her sister, Lily, lately. See, he's wondering if any of this stuff might have to do with what he calls, quote, her lot, unquote. Petunia is annoyed that he even brings her sister up, and they quickly drop the discussion and go to bed. Lumos. The predictable, worldly world of the Dursleys. Vernon and Petunia fit in really well. They get how the world works, and they use it to their advantage. They are described as having a nice home. Um, Vernon owns a successful company. They have a good reputation among their neighbors and friends. And in a lot of ways, we all kind of want to be like that, right? Like, it's okay to want to fit in. And on the surface, we don't hate the Dursleys because they love the world. We hate them because they hate Harry. But what makes them hate him and his world so much in the series? I think it's because they're uncomfortable with anything that doesn't fit in, anything that's unpredictable, because they love their comfortable world and they're not willing to mix with anyone who doesn't fit. In the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 say this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the arrogance produced by material possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. These verses, to me, just scream Vernon and Petunia Dursley. Uh, Vernon loves the world. He loves the things of the world. Throughout the series, and even just in this first chapter, you see how much uh, pride he carries in it. And in fact, we see just what the, the scripture said, this, quote, arrogance produced by material possessions. You see him living that out. He brags about his cars. He brags about his job. He even brags later in the series about his bully of a son, you know. So all of these things that are so worldly and that the Harry Potter series actually paints in a really ugly light is very, very acceptable to Vernon Dursley. And Petunia is no different. She is a gossip. She loves to judge people. She's also very proud of their material possessions and, and is always wanting to impress other people and put on a show. And then they raise their son Dudley to be the same way. Throughout the series, we see him being greedy and mean and always wanting more stuff and more power. It's interesting to me that the first antagonists that we meet in this Harry Potter series are this personification of exactly what John was warning us about in this letter. The Dursleys are 100% worldly people, and they're happy that way. That's the thing about worldliness. It's comfortable. It feels good. It's predictable. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is about why he believes in Christianity. He writes in Mere Christianity, quote, 
Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe in Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it offered just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have. Unquote. I love this idea that C.S. Lewis presents that the predictable things are the least real things about our lives. And the reality of God's kingdom being so near and being so opposite from the worldly kingdoms that we see is unpredictable. But Vernon Dursley would hate it because it's different. It doesn't fit into his comfortable worldview, just like the magical people and events he witnesses that first day got under his skin because they didn't fit. Knox. Back on Privet Drive, as the Dursleys are going to bed, a strange man appears. The narrator describes him pretty much as a stereotypical wizard, like I pictured the first time I read it, the cartoon Merlin from The Sword in the Stone, that old Disney movie. Um, That's exactly what I saw in my head. He had the long silver beard and the pointy hat and the long robes. The works, right? And he takes a device out of his pocket, and when he clicks it, all the lights go out on Privet Drive. Lumos. The put-outer. Throughout literature, light and dark are symbols of good and evil, and the Bible's no different, and Harry Potter's no different. When Dumbledore showed up on Privet Drive and approached the personified worldliness that is the Dursleys, him putting out the lights, I believe, symbolizes that this transition from the wizarding world into the muggle world is going from light to dark, and in Harry's case, it's going from a good life to a dismal one. Thankfully, not all muggles are painted as worldly or evil, as we'll see later in the series, but the Dursleys are certainly considered antagonists, and Dumbledore putting out the lights on their street before Harry arrives foreshadows this dark life that Harry is being left to. It made me think of Matthew 15, 15, when Jesus teaches, quote, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, it is put on the lampstand where it gives light for everyone in the house, unquote. I think what we see here is kind of the opposite concept. Dumbledore's decision to leave Harry with the Dursleys is is like hiding that bright light, hiding the light of Harry from the wizarding world, but also hiding the light of the wizarding world from Harry. Despite his noble reasons for leaving Harry there, I can't help but wonder if Dumbledore did the right thing by hiding Harry's true identity, power, and purpose. Knox. So as this mysterious wizard approaches the Dursley's house, the cat that Vernon Dursley encountered earlier turns into a stern-looking witch. And so we meet Professor Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall. I will tell you that McGonagall is one of my absolute favorite characters in the entire series. Uh, My career is in education, and so I can appreciate the fact that she is a strict teacher. She is kind of no-nonsense, but she also loves her students, and you can tell that they love her. I do my best every day at my job to be a McGonagall-type teacher. So they discuss the events of the day. In particular, they talk about all the wizards celebrating the fall of someone named Voldemort. And McGonagall is actually annoyed that people have been so out in the open with their celebrations. She tells Dumbledore that the Muggles have noticed, and they even had it on their news. They go on to discuss the rumors that Lily and James Potter are dead, and that Voldemort vanished when he tried to kill their one-year-old son, Harry. So here we see this juxtaposition of celebration in the wizarding world and sorrow throughout that same community. Lumos. Joy and Sorrow. 
The conversation between Dumbledore and McGonagall reminded me of an unusual concept that we find in scripture, which is this idea of having joy in sorrow. John 16, 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I think it's worth noting that joy isn't the same thing as happiness, and a lot of people really confuse those two words. Happiness, I think, is something that's fleeting. It can come from simple pleasures like, you know, petting a dog or eating some really great tacos. But joy is something deeper. It's not as easily touched by your circumstances. Joy is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians. It's more than just a good emotion. Biblical joy is a lasting attitude of contentment and peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus talks about joy in these verses, he's referencing his ultimate defeat over death and evil. So we can have joy even in something as terrible as Jesus' sacrificial death because we know the end of the story. Good has conquered evil. Now, I don't want to spoil too much about the deaths of Lily and James in case some of you are new to the Potterverse, but I'll say this. The celebrations going on throughout the wizarding world definitely echo the joy we feel that death is defeated in Christ. Knox. At this point, Dumbledore and McGonagall have a disagreement about leaving baby Harry here with the Dursleys. McGonagall says she's been watching them all day and they're, quote, the worst sort of muggles imaginable, unquote. She feels like Harry would be better off being raised by a wizarding family. But Dumbledore insists that he's better off growing up without all of the fame that is sure to come with defeating the Dark Lord as an infant. Suddenly, a wild-looking giant of a man on a flying motorbike shows up with baby Harry, and we are introduced to Hagrid. Despite being intimidating-looking, we quickly find out that Hagrid is a big softy. He cries about the deaths of Lily and James and has to be comforted by Professor McGonagall. Finally, they do leave Harry sleeping on the Dursleys' doorstep, along with a letter, and the narrator points out that the sleeping baby has no idea how famous or how special he is, or that people all over the wizarding world are toasting him, saying to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. Lumos. Raised by Muggles. It has occurred to me how similar this little piece of the Harry Potter story is to the beginning of the story of Moses that we find in the book of Exodus. As a baby, Moses is taken in by an Egyptian princess, and then he is raised as an Egyptian, which are the very people who at that time were oppressing his own people, the Israelites. After he grows up, Moses is called by God to set his people free. And I can't help but think about Harry being dropped on the Muggles' doorstep to be raised in their world, and in particular with these Dursleys who oppress his very own people, only to one day become a hero for his own people. This scene also made me stop and think about the infant Jesus. So at the time of recording, it's just a couple of weeks until Christmas, so I kind of have baby Jesus on the brain. And I'm wondering, as we talk about this, If, like Harry, baby Jesus was blissfully unaware of what lay ahead. In scripture, the earliest account we have of Jesus' awareness of his divine nature is when he's 12 years old. And his parents were freaking out because they were traveling with a large party from Jerusalem and they couldn't find Jesus. And they had already been traveling for like two or three days. And so finally, when they find him, he is teaching in the temple. And... 
I can just imagine as a mom, (laughs) the way that I would freak out on my kid. And so I think Mary and Joseph probably had some pretty choice words for 12-year-old Jesus, but he actually rebukes them saying, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So we know that by the age of 12, Jesus had an awareness of who he was. The Bible doesn't give us much else about his childhood. So all I can do is imagine and wonder if on that first Christmas Eve, as the infant Jesus lay sleeping in a manger, he was as unaware of his purpose as Harry Potter was on the Dursley's doorstep at the end of chapter one. Knox. Oh my gosh, you guys, that was so much fun for me. (laughs) I hope you had fun too. Um, As I said at the beginning of this episode, this is a literal dream come true for me. I have wanted to start this podcast for years now, and so I'm I'm having a blast, and I can't wait to do the next episode with you. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you will continue with me as we look into the next chapter, The Vanishing Glass, In the meantime, don't forget that you can earn house points on Instagram by commenting on my pinned house cup post at Gospel According to Harry Potter. Currently, there is a red Gryffindor banner on the pinned post. Um, As a proud Hufflepuff, I'm really hoping that my other puffs out there will go vote. I don't vote because I try to be fair. It's my podcast. It's my Instagram. So my vote doesn't count. But I am not too proud to encourage other Hufflepuffs to get on there and vote for our house. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please follow. Please leave a nice review. This is my very first podcast. I am not a professional. Never done this before. So please be kind and patient with me as I learn the ropes. Um, But I, I just can't wait to move on to the next episode, you guys. This has been a blast. And I will see you next time when we continue discussing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Until next time, stay close to Jesus and don't let the muggles get you down.